Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. I'm your host, as always, Mike Murray. All of my peers, all of my friends, all of my coaching buddies in the business have said to me now for weeks, you need to get Vern Gambetta on the Coaches Corner. I am thrilled today to introduce everybody to the leader of gain swimming, a practitioner in the business for many, many years with a lot of experience across a myriad of different sports. Welcome to the program, Vern. We are so thrilled to have you on. Well, thanks, Mike. I'm excited to be on. I know some of the, uh, I've got some of those coaches really fooled, I think, but uh, no, I, I am just so blessed to, uh, to work with the coaches that I work with in swimming and obviously other sports throughout my career, but now I'm no pun intended, pretty, pretty immersed in swimming. Um, the, the COVID uh, pandemic has, has been a blessing in disguise because I basically am with the sharks all the time. I'm not traveling and uh, it's been, it's been really cool. It's been really, really cool to, you know, to be there and see the progress over the last eight months instead of, you know, coming in and out like I have in the past. So yeah, you're you're probably able to measure things a little bit more quickly than you normally do being there on a more regular basis. Uh, yeah, measure in the sense of I kind of kind of call it iology, right? And that we can, uh, you know, uh, when I'm not here, I'm doing the giving the coaches the dry land workout. They implement it. I don't see the see the effect of it, right? Literally. You see the changes, bodily changes in 14 to 18, 19 year olds. And then I don't see what happens in the water. So now we, we might do a dry land uh, like yesterday and I don't stay for the whole workout, but I'll stay for at least an hour of the workout or get there early, uh, you know, in the morning and, and see, you know, so it's, it's cause the goal of all of this, right. Is to create uh, from a, just a pure performance perspective, fast swimmers not, not better, uh, not better dry landers, <laughs> you know, they, they uh, so uh, I think that's, yeah, I think that the, the, with the ultimate test being the water and, you know, right now we're in a little bit of a, we're in a taper phase. It's a little bit, you know, going into San Antonio with our, with seven or eight of the kids. And, and so really um, being there day to day and adjusting to dry land, uh, in the taper is is really good because most of the time I'm doing that from afar. And it's in this case, it's Brent and I with Brent really taking the lead. He'll say to me, Vern, I think we should do. Yep, you're right on. He said to me the other day, well, you know, uh, I said, what I he said, what do you have in in in, uh, in mind for dry land tomorrow? And I said, go into the water. They'll tell you you know that you'll tell me tomorrow morning you know because if, if they're not perky and they're not you know we're we're, we're more work and gonna do any good so anyway long answer sorry <laughs> no I, that that's perfect and and that's really what we're seminally interested in today is learning more about that process and you know how you apply your philosophy to swimming because you have such a strong background in many other sports when i talk to brent or when i talk to chris plum or when i talk to ian murray your philosophy on dry land and movement is a big part of what their 10,000 foot level philosophy is for their club teams. And one mm -hmm. of the things that I asked you before we had this episode was, can you talk to us a little bit about what physical literacy is 
and yeah. some, some good initial strategies for coaches to consider when developing their dry land programs? Uh, great, great question. And I um, uh, had an hour long conversation with, with Chris Webb about this gesture. So it's really fresh in my mind in terms of looking at it. Uh, I, I tend to look at development um, in, in, in this case in swimming as uh, almost like a, uh, uh, what would you call it, diamond shape. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of driven almost top down. We know what the, we know at the end result, what we want our national class, you know, they're basically junior swimmers and some of them senior to be. And so in a sense, you reverse engineer it and say, okay, we know what the swimming skills are. And then we, we, we need to really look at what are the, uh, what are the, 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 the athletic components that you need to be a good swimmer. And then that comes back to, uh, and, and, and I think you can split hairs, whether you call it fundamental movement skills or physical literacy. I think over there, there is from an academic perspective, there's a bit of a difference, but none of, we're not interested in, in the academics for this or the theory of it, we're interested in the practice. So I'll use the two terms interchangeably. Uh, and, and it's, I, I think the fundamental thing we wanna give kids from the time they come on pool deck and reinforce it's there, but we have to bring it out in them is, is, is body awareness and, and awareness of center. You know, we're, and, and, and thirdly, we're bipedal. We were designed to walk um, upright. And this goes to, to, to Bill Boomer and Milton Elms' concept. We swim like we walk, you know, and your arms and legs are in opposition in freestyle and in, in backstroke. And uh, so we want to build on what the youngster has coming to us. And we, a lot of people are now saying, well, more free play, more free play. Well, free play is free and it's unsupervised by adults or swim coaches. That's different. When they come to the pool, we want to, we want to, we want some structured play, a playful element with eight, nine and 10 year olds that give them uh, fundamental body awareness. We wanna do some real basic strengthening that enhances connections of ankle, knee, hip, shoulder, wrist, elbow. And a lot of that is done through crawling, you know, and, and real basic activities like that. Climbing um, would be a big part of it. And some of the skills, what, um, what if, if you can visualize this, this is an audio uh, podcast, but if you can visualize that, let's use September through the next October, even, or let's say June with an eight, nine year old. What we want to do is we want to progress them in their first year with a club across horizontally. And then each club has a curriculum and, and an exit um, uh, what, what do you call it? It's not strategy, an exit evaluation of what you want that youngster to have in terms of movement skills. So that if they're moved up to the next age group, then they, they, they graduate to a, a little, a hierarchy of um, uh, more coordinative skills. And, and also the way it works is each subsequent year, as you go up the ladder, the, the amount of time you devote to this increases. So it might, if, if you come three days a week, 
um, you know, your first, say your first three months is 15 minutes each time. And it's usually divided into three five minute blocks. And the first two five minute blocks are really foundational. And then the last five minute block is usually some sort of a game built on the foundation movements. It could be crawling relays, wheelbarrow races. I mean, it's so, somebody said to me actually, John, when the assistant coach with the Sharks was there two weeks ago at 5.30 in the morning. And, and I, we have a real structured warm up to swim program, but the kids that are in our national team group, there's a lot of kids here that have been in this program for, well, jeepers, uh, 2012. So figure they're 17 years old now. Well, some of them weren't in the program, then, but, uh, and so what I did is I just took elements of each of the warm up to swim and some of the things that we would do with seven, eight year olds. And we did it in about 12 minute period. And John said to me afterwards, he says, that was really old school. And I said, no, it was seventh grade PE at Lacumbra Junior High in 1970, you know, and, and it was, they enjoy it. But it was, you know, it was, it got everything. And my goal is, look, when, when they get done with that dry land session and, 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 and Brent is there, then that's the other key element for all you swim coaches that are listening. These coaches, you look at those teams, those coaches are heavily invested in this. They're not saying go to the weight room and send it to somebody else. Because they know what's, you know, so, you know, you go to Carmel and, 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 and Chris is in the weight room, you go to, you go to, to, uh, you know, to Dynamo Ian's there, you go to you, wherever, you know, and, uh, but, but uh, I want them connected and I want them ready to swim, you know, and, and there's some ass kicking workouts these kids are going to do, but that's matched up to what they're going to do in the pool, you know, so. But so, so it's all based on these fundamental movements, you know, run, jump, throw, reach, pull, push, squat, lunge, step, catch, throw, you know, all of these kinds of things. So, uh, and it's, it's, it's really an elementary um, uh, PE curriculum in a lot of ways. It borrowed heavily on that and movement exploration. And, and actually a lot of things that um, just through happenstance over the you know, 30, 40 years ago, being exposed to some um, uh, and, and working with rehabilitation concepts in terms of rehabilitation, spending nine years in professional baseball and, and basically eliminating shoulder injuries prepared me for what one of the reasons why we don't have shoulder injuries, you know, uh, is because we never focused on the shoulder. We focused on the hip and the connection of the shoulder to the hip and down the chain, which is exactly the same thing that happens in swimming, except it happens, uh, you know, horizontally, so. What a remarkable thing for a lot of coaches to consider that many of these movements or movement-based activities inside of the programs that you're working with are based off of elementary physical education class. Which kids don't have anymore. It's really, That's cool. yeah. yeah, I mean, it's something that we talk about as a staff uh, on our team. Um, when we think about some of the library of movement of our athletes and how it's changed so much, if we do a dry land session where we play ultimate Frisbee or we do some other components that would be classified probably as elementary PE uh, modalities, we see <laughs> some, some real lack of movement acumen in our athletes. Yeah. So you see, yeah, go, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. 
No, I, uh, that that's perfect place for you to jump in. No, you see some real, uh, you see some real ugly, uh, scary things, and and they don't get better when they get in the water. They're just manifested differently. And uh, you know, I mean, we do we do it more and more. We do a thing called shapes, and um, and it start it, it does start with the young ones. And I would I would honestly say that up until this year. The shapes were a lot more of an emphasis with eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds. Now we're doing them with the senior group and we have three gymnastics mats. We put them out there in the, and we're doing, I mean, you, you can't believe the crazy stuff that these kids are willing to do. They love it, you know? So if I can't going into the wall, if I can't get small on dry land, how am I gonna get small going into the wall? you know, and then I have to do a flip turn. Well, everybody goes, well, their turns aren't very good. Well, what did you do? What was the fundamental skill on dry land that, that um, uh, set them up? You know, that's disorienting. Now you add the water, you don't have the same kind of visual orientation. So you better master it and have proficiency on dry land, right? And so, uh, you know, it's things like that. And and again, look, this is my 53rd year of coaching. My first year, I didn't teach PE. I taught history and geography. And then the next few years taught both and coached. Um, and uh, every kid had mandatory physical education for 45 minutes a day in California. Well, in 1969, all, 40, all 50 states had it. Okay, now one state has mandatory physical education um, and I don't even know what the status of it is. I think it's Illinois uh, and it's been watered down. Well, you could certainly, and you talked to the, uh, you know, the, uh, North Thornton's a, a mentor of mine and I, I know North quite well. And, and uh, he graduated from San Jose State quite a few years ahead of me. I went to Fresno State, but it was the same kind of program. And, uh, you, you know, you, you, you were taught, at, you were taught at, you were a teacher so you learn how to teach, you learn fundamental pedagogy. And if you were a PE major or minor, the emphasis was on these, on these kind of skills. And you could count on the fact that when a kid came out for swimming practice or track practice or whatever it was, that, that they'd had an hour a day of these kinds of things. Now we have to find ways to give this, give this to our youngsters in the context of a swim practice. And you know, we're, we're gifted here in Sarasota. We're outside. We have a dedicated now big dry land area. Uh, and some of the clubs have nothing but pool deck. And so it presents a myriad of problems, but what also prevents, presents a lot of different opportunities. I look at what Chris Webb has at Fort Collins and it's, I mean, it's, it's, there's hardly any space. And so everything's been adapted to move within your space, which we define your space as double arms distance apart. You know, how much can you do, you know, and still be safe on pool deck. So part of what key cornerstone of my philosophy is, don't tell me what you can't do. I wanna know what you can do. Always look at possibilities. I'm not a Pollyanna, I'm realistic, but I look around. Uh, I did a thing, I consulted down in Trinidad with their ministry of sport and it happened to be not swim coaches, but it was um, uh, court sports. And uh, we were in their national stadium 
And I went outside and I said, okay, you have 15 minutes. Um, everybody has to cut by yourself. You can't partner up. You have to come back with five different things you can do within this stadium. That's all. And that's and with you, you know, your head coach, with your assistant coaches, that would be an assignment I have. I want you to look at our facility now, and I want you to look at it with, with whole different eyes, you know, and see what we can do. Parking lot could be fair game as long as there's not traffic, you know, but you look at your old facility, you know, so um, is it perfect? No, I mean, I'd love to have, I'd love to have some of the things that Carmel has in their weight room. I love the fact that we can be outside year round. You know, again, if we we're in Indiana, we couldn't be, you know, so, but uh, there, you know, I love outdoor shrink training areas. I think there's advantages to that, so. For sure. And one of the things that you touched on there, Vern, was the importance of connectivity. And one of my very good friends is TJ Day. He's out here in Buffalo with, yeah. with Starship. Yeah. Yeah. And TJ is very adamant about what's, and I've been able to watch what's. And what's, for those of you that don't know, is uh, a little warm-up program called Warm Up to Swim, WTS, yeah. he calls it. And, uh, wow. I, and I watch these kids do it, um, and, and he's being – he's you know, re-energizing that club. Uh, talk to us about warm up to swim and, and what it does for the athletes. It's essential. Um, and if if you want the uh, the magic pill to eliminate shoulder problems and low back and knee problems, you know, with the growing athlete, it's warm ups to swim. So, and that's what you start teaching at at the, at the entry level of the club. The fundamental movements are are portions of warm up to swim. And then when you get to your your, se your senior group or your national group and, and 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 actually one group below, I mean I'm I'm using those terms because teams have different structures, so I'm trying to make it across those. So then you have um, what what we define is uh, we have three different uh, warm up to swims in A, B, and C, and one of them is a little more um, movement oriented. One of them is a little bit more mobility oriented, and then one is a little bit more core oriented. Okay, so and what you do is day one or day first session, you do warm up A, then the next day you do warm up B and then C and then A and B and C. And uh, it it um, probably takes it depending on how you want to structure it and the number of kids you have. It can go as short as 12 minutes and as long as 20 with the same number of exercises. You just uh, you change the reps and and it's if think toenails to fingernails. I know that sounds like a cliche, but we're we're really working on getting everything connected. Uh, and and one of the foundations uh, that I I learned as an athlete and as a track coach is that training accumulates day to day, week to week, month to month, and year to year. And there is a really profound training effect from repeating these uh, this warm up routine um, day in and day out. The biggest thing you have to guard against as a coach is it it becomes mundane. It becomes routine. So you have to coach it. You have to you have to be on them. Come on. It starts with it starts with mini band walking rotations, bump up, up, lunge and reach, uh, squat series, pushed up series, or things like that in it. And, uh, and, and you can't turn your back and say, uh, you and the assistant coach be talking about the swim set. You've got to coach it, you know? So, uh, and it sets the tempo for the day. So the, 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 the idea behind it, and this, is, this comes from track and field. And when I went to, into baseball, 
uh, it was the same kind of thing. The, 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 the pitchers would pick up a baseball and start throwing. And they'd start at 30 feet. And then in about two minutes, they'd be just, you know, and then they'd grab their shoulder. And I go, this is stupid. What'd you do to warm up to throw? Well, what'd you do to warm up to swim? And so when you get in the pool, I don't want you to, to, to do a thousand meter warm up in the pool of crappy strokes. I want when you're when you when you hold water for the first time, I want you to be able, you could go to your main set if you do this right. And and I really think, I don't knock on wood, I don't want to jinx us. I really think that this has been one of the keys to shoulder injury prevention. And um, you know, so you give up a little water time but you gain quality water time because they're prepared for the water, you know? So I hope that encapsulates it, but uh, it's hugely important, hugely important. And that's the cornerstone of the whole gain swimming program is the, is the, is the structured uh, warm up to swim. And then, and then remember too, that that warm up to swim then is your warm up to compete. And what we try to do is teach the kids, okay, now, you're going to take A, B, C. You're going to take what out of A makes you feel good, what out of B makes you feel good, what out of C, and that's your meat warm up, you know, too. Uh, with the now the younger kids usually do a group warm up, you know, but outside. But you know the older kids, I don't think it's necessary. So you you mentioned something in there, Vern, about some spatial awareness. And as coaches, when we're trying to learn more about our sport learn more about how to apply techniques. We learn about some basics of kinesiology. We learn about kinesthetic awareness, proprioception. Right. How does a program like Warm Up to Swim apply directly to technique? Well, because first of all, the, the thesis is, is where, I mean, if I stand on pool deck with virtually any swim coach that I know, I'm going to hear something about connection of of hip to shoulders. I'm in here ankle, knee, hip. And so uh, the thesis is based on Boomer and Nelms is that you walk like you, you swim like you walk. Uh, and so there's walking rotations. You know, you're, you're, uh, you can see me here, but as I, and I can describe this, if I step forward with my right leg, my, my left shoulder goes forward just a little bit. And my my hips and um, shoulders work in, in in slight little bit of opposition. Well, watch you know look look underwater. Go take a snorkel and watch your or using a video and watch them swim towards you. You know, so it's it's you're just trying to reinforce the patterns and then the awareness of the relationship of the parts. And again, we're not aquatic animals, so we're reinforcing it in our um, familiar environment to get ready for the less familiar and to for some kids not as comfortable an environment you know I don't that's one thing too I, I uh, when talking to Nord after he retired and he was just coaching um, breaststroke at Cal we, we we'd have these conversations on the phone now because I wasn't there anymore I mean that was years before I'd been there but um, about um, just that, that how important it was getting these kids to understand some of those movements on dry land to, to make the adaptations that he was wanted to make in the, in the breaststroke, you know, too.
Sure. And, and what a stroke to really apply a lot of this too, because, uh, you know, there's some oh, old yeah. adages and, and misconceptions that, you know, you can only be born a breaststroker or, you know, breaststrokers yeah, are relatively yeah. rare. There's a lot of simultaneous movement that happens in that stroke. So what I'm are some of um, I, 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 I don't even call myself a recreational swimmer. I have to use fins and a snorkel and buoyancy vests. No, not, and now I got to get off of a gut, but that takes care of that now. But um, I'm fascinated by the breaststroke. I, I uh, you know, because of those complexities and the things that I hear and, and what you, you know, what you can see. And Jim Steen, um, I got the pleasure of working with him a couple of years at Kenyon and, um, my la the last year I worked with him, I got to go back four times and he said, we got to get our breaststrokers better. And so I was trying to all these crazy things to try to imitate dress breaststroke on dry land after the first visit. And I, I came back and I said, Jim, this is a waste of time. You can't imitate that on dry land. We just got to get them better at certain ranges of motion. And we got to get them stronger through certain ranges instead of trying to imitate. And, I, and that sounds like double talk, you know, but but uh, we didn't figure it out. They got better. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, oftentimes we find that some our strongest swimmers are often our most powerful breaststrokers. Breaststrokers tend to be yeah. those athletes on our team that, that have some dynamic power. Um, yeah. Vern, yeah. yeah. talk, talk to us a little bit about some of the fears that a lot of coaches have about stepping into the weight room. You know, I feel like over the last okay. 25 years, um, of my involvement in the sport, both as an athlete and as a coach, there's strong advocacy for weightlifting, uh, 18 and under. Then there's no one 18 and under should be lifting. And then there's a middle range. So you may, maybe talk to us a little bit about that evolution and, and some of the things that you've noticed and, and why you advocate some of it now. Yeah, a, a really good question. And uh, it's, first of all, I, I try to stay away. I do. From the term weight training, I, I, I use the umbrella term strength training. We uh, we lift some incredible tonnages in terms of of weights, in terms of dumbbells and that kind of stuff. And you would, if you uh, unless you followed the numbers, you wouldn't watch a workout and you wouldn't see. Um, I think, and and for the listeners, please this um, this is not to sound arrogant, but you can tell the kids. The, the athletes that have been on this on the game program, I mean, they look different. And, it, you know, uh, because we're trying to develop a, a body shape that's relative to swimming, we, we want, you know, we want long and strong. We're not trying to increase your max bench press. In fact, the only time there is bench press in the program is that's usually for male collegiate swimmers because they're more interested in how they look sometimes than how they, uh, and we did a little bit of it with the, with the senior swimmers in Singapore. But um, so I used the term strength training and strength training, I define it as coordination training with appropriate resistance um, to be able to handle your body weight. And so everything, the principle is body weight before external resistance. The majority of the movements, we use dumbbells, sandbags, and then for some of the heavier movements off the ground trap bars, which the, what I call the juniors, kind of your 13, 14 year olds, and then your senior groups, 
progress to using those uh, at and it's all based on um, any of the any of the um, lifts with weight uh, unless they're small is based on percentage of body weight um, and the rule of thumb is that you never sacrifice uh, range of motion for resistance so for example it's usually the teenage boys they usually want to lift more than they're supposed to for the um, prescribed number of reps and and uh, you're spending more time so okay look you know sometimes now with the iphone i can just take a picture and say you know you're going through you're going through half three quarters of the range of motion you need to that's not going to have transferred to the pool um with the, the with the girls it, it's initially um that's why we that's why uh uh I, I i try to stay away from weight training and stay away from strength training now you know at dynamo and at mason and, and uh, i mean yeah dynamo has a weight room too we, we don't have a weight room here in sarasota it's outdoors we have everything dumbbells kettlebells we've got um overhead bars you know climbing ropes all nine yards and use all of them um you know the colleges that i've consulted with at, at singapore we have pretty fancy weight rooms but still the majority of the work was done with um dumbbells kettlebells uh, stretch cords in certain movements um to work on more um, eccentric and stabilization type of strength and uh what else sandbags use sandbags a fair bit uh you know for for resistance um, and some weight vest, you know, so that um, we, we, and, and I started on the thing with the girls is get them over the fear of, of um, resistance. And uh, I mean, Brent was joking. We had a group of boys here five years ago now. I mean, they were, they were really good. I mean, uh, I think Austin Katz is the only one left in college now that all of them graduated. No, Brent Riley and, at, is a junior at anyway these kids were just boys were flat out studs we have and and, and brent sent a, 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 a text to him a couple of weeks ago i saw the text he and, and matt garcia is, is who I, I know really well i've coached with his father in baseball and that and he, he sent it to matt he said matt all the girls are lifting more more uh, stuff more weight on high pulls and on rows than you guys did you know and and they take pride in it now you know, and you can see the difference. I mean, you know, you, it's it's the eye test. I mean, they're lean, they're, you know, and the same thing in the, in the guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's profound what you see. And look, and some of this is what we have to remember is we're just taking advantage of the biology. You know, these kids, that, that's the beauty with the boys. They're secreting more testosterone in, in a week than Lance Armstrong took in a month. And the girls, you got to start them earlier. You got to start like 12, 13, 14. And, and so that they, they you know, you, you keep that leanness, uh, you know, in that. So, but in um, in some respects, the strength training is almost more important for the girls than it is for the boys. Uh, just in terms of body composition, um, enabling them to, and, and the whole purpose of dry land, whether it's, strength training, and there's a ton, no pun intended, of, of core work. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot, thousands of reps of medicine ball, different medicine ball movements, uh, you know, in that. So usually in art right now, because we have, um, 
let's see what what day would it be maybe tuesday wednesday and fridays here with the sharks are just uh in the afternoon is is just core work but every day either at the beginning as part of warm-up or at the end of the strength training workout we'll usually bracket that with core modules so literally you're looking at thousands of reps of um uh, of, of core work and everything is set up in modules, which is three to five exercises that, so you don't have to rewrite everything all the time. And the kids now know the modules, say like core module, we can say uh, three core modules, your choice, and they know what they are. They're posted and they know what they are. And they learn those, they start learning those. Uh, the nine and 10 year olds don't do modules. They learn the individual exercises. And then 11, 12, 13 year olds start to do modules. So it's, it's, a, it's a system that's, you know, gradually feeding up the ladder, so to speak. Yeah, that, that's really interesting to see how that all plays out in the development. And, you know, one thing that I want to mention is when we talk about Carmel, Sarasota, Mason, Dynamo, these are the club teams that are producing our junior national teams. And one, we love correlation on Coach's Corner. And one thing that they all have in common is, you know, they're working with these programs that, that you've created. So it's really great to see that kind of come together. And I remember uh, this was about 2010. I think I was at Junior Nationals and we were sitting next to Chris Plum and Carmel. And um, I remember saying to my assistant, these kids are jacked. Like <laughs> every one of these kids are jacked. Yeah, and they were doing uh they were doing uh i think it was probably back then like an early version of warm up to swim yeah chris, yeah. yeah chris had a had a, a notebook piece of paper that he taped up to the wall and they were doing it and they were doing it religiously at prelims yeah. uh finals i mean it was it was really cool they do it those kids like the uh foster they're not twins foster brothers when they they traveled overseas with junior national team or whatever. They they brought their mini band, all, you know, all the kids, you know, I mean, they all, it's part of their, it, it, it just becomes part of your repertoire, you know, and uh, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been really cool to watch. It's a terrific tribute to those coaches, you know. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, it, it I mean, it, it's, um, you know, there's a monkey see, monkey do attitude. Everybody wants to look at what the good people are and they want to copy it. People say, can we come and watch work? Sure, you can come and watch workout. You can copy it. You can film it. But you don't understand what goes into this. And I'm not trying to make it complicated. But the investment that those coaches have to make to make this program work, people don't understand that, you know, and how to, how to, how to really integrate it with swimming. That's the key thing. It's not separate. It's not how many hours of dry land we do. It's, it's what have you achieved proficiency at the movement so that when you, the, the whole goal here is when you get in the pool, I'm not gonna make it, I can't make you a better swimmer on dry land. You guys make them better swimmers in the water. But if we do a good job on dry land and we're all working together, when they get in the water, they're gonna get, and you do a thousand yards, they're gonna get more out of the thousand yards that they do than somebody else that, doesn't do the program. I'm convinced of that. I'll go to my grave saying that because I saw the same thing in track and field. I've seen it in professional baseball and I've seen it in professional soccer, you know, so uh, 
and rugby and on and on and on, you know, so, but it's, it's not easy. You don't become a gold medal team by showing up at the pool, you know, or saying, go do, go do weights, you know, so uh, anyway. No doubt about it. Uh, one question that we have, Vern, that I, that I think speaks to a lot of this is how important it is to track data and, and the analytics of this throughout the process. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. And I think I'm open to a lot of criticism on that because uh, we know, uh, I don't do a good job of it. Hell, let's just cut to the chase. I, I, I think the individual coaches do. I think we're um, like, I, I can, it's downstairs, I can pull out last week's, uh, third week of the cycle in the phase I can tell you what the rep you know total reps were um, but in terms of actually keeping track uh, of the amount of weight lifted I know from the modules exactly how many reps are done and how much what the weight would be in med balls but when it comes to the actual lifting it's and we we're supposed to be and that's where I'm bad we're supposed to be using I won't say which program, uh, there's a computerized program, but I, I don't like the idea of having the kids have cell phones and taking, having to, to record the weights. Um, a big part of the success of this program and an integral ingredient of it is the work to rest ratios. And that's why we get so much more done in a, in a, in a concentrated period of time because we're not trying to achieve max strength. So a lot of times it's one-to-one. -one. You don't even have time to, you, you know, to start your phone and do that. So we're depending on them uh, you know, to keep track of, of the loads somewhat. I can tell you within, uh, you know, with, with Dumbbell Complex what so-and-so girl is doing. Um, well, I know what she'll do tomorrow uh, you know, in taper with, um, uh, the dumbbell complex we're doing, you know, so, but my answer is, it's not as, I like to be scientific, I don't like to be sciencey, but I, I say that's where uh, I'm more into coaching the quality of the movement, the rhythm and the tempo than getting hung up on some of that stuff. Great, great. I appreciate that, Vern. And, and, you know, like me, some of the type A coaches out there, we like to know every single repeat, every single uh, time, you know, but it's good to understand that too. I think it's important to step away from that and, and just let them do their thing. Um, so here's a real world application. Just, just a sec though. I, I want to reiterate again, it's the quality of the movement with appropriate resistance that's going to yield the results. So, and it's, I don't want to give people, I mean, everything is thoroughly planned in advance. Okay. Now, when you get to what we call our, our, well, our, our taper and hybrid, uh, hybrid phase where we'll, um, uh, the workouts go more day to day. So we'll adjust day to day. Now I'm not going, I'm not, because I'm on this, I'm not at, and for there's a reason I'm not at today's workout either, but tomorrow morning, um, uh, there's swimming first because there's a meet. So we'll, we'll adjust the dry land because that's their last dry land workout before they go to San Antonio, you know? So, uh, but that adjustment is going to be based on what they did in the pool. Sure. 
So, uh, no, that's great. I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to elaborate. And I think our coaches who are watching will too. Um, a, a real world example, Vern, let's say here I am, I'm in rural Idaho or rural Maine uh, or rural New Mexico, and I don't have the access to a lot of resources in terms of equipment or, uh, uh, you know, whatever I need to run a, a, uh, an elite level dryland program. What are some things that I can incorporate immediately that, that are going to help my athletes develop? Well, you can, um, uh, you can make sufficient weights for a while with, um, uh, plastic, um, you know, jugs, you know, and that to, to get some of the stuff done, you can make sandbags. Okay. I know cars don't have inner tubes anymore, but you can still find, you know, there's ways to do that at little cost. I suggest that you invest, uh, you take your, your senior group and try to try if you can to have one med ball for every two people. If you can't, then you're gonna have to go in groups and only get a 3K ball or a six pound ball. Don't invest in heavier or lighter. If you shop around now on the internet, you can find really good deals on them. Um, invest in some rings, not TRXs. Sorry, TRX, uh, but you can get rings as um, cheap as I think $25 a pair now. So if you can get, if you can raise about $500, I think you can um, you could do a pretty good program. Then, if you can afford dumbbells, get dumbbells from from 12 pounds up to 30 pounds initially, enough so that you and all our all our work to rest ratios are one to one. So, if I'm using a pair of dumbbells and you're resting, you know, like that, or you're doing med ball, um, and just a little bit of space, uh, jump ropes, you can get jump ropes. Um, you can put together a really effective program. I mean, it doesn't take any facilities to crawl. You may have some apparatus that you can hang from or do chin-ups from or something like that. Look around your facility, uh, you know, and that. So, um, I mean, I, I don't know if that answers. You don't need much. You, you need more um, e imagination and creativity to, to look at these movements and say, okay, do I need to load them? Do I not need to load them? You know, and that kind of stuff. So, um, Vern, what, what is the difference between muscle flexibility and muscle pliability? Oh, geez. I knew that was coming up. Well, one of them is there's a 42 year old quarterback that is selling pliability that they can't define it and muscle flexibility. You don't have muscle flexibility. Okay, that's a misnomer too. You have joint flexibility, which is a range of motion around the joint. And that can be determined by, uh, you know, yeah, some muscle link things and things like that. So, I, and I'm not saying this tongue in cheek, this has come up three times now in the last five days about the pliability thing. Don't, coaches, don't get sucked into the TBT stuff. Most of it, if you look into the science, there's no science, it's voodoo. Um, I think there's some medicinal aids in addition to his performances, and I'm probably be sued for saying that. And uh, flexibility or mobility is extremely important. Range of motion about the hip, 
obviously control of range of motion about the shoulder, uh, range of motion at the ankle. And it's something that's inherent in our program every day. Every day, there's, it isn't stretching, it's working through full ranges of motion. Some of it is stretching. We do a lot of work with hurdles, hurdle overs, hurdle unders, uh, crawling, uh, um, uh, just a lot, a lot of flexibility work. Um, part of one of the warmups is what we call our animal series, which is jokingly, it's, you know, in, in yoga, you have all the different poses that are named after animals. So it's, it's a yoga flow series, you know, and that. So, um, but I, I, don't know, I don't know what the word, term pliability. Pliability is when you're playing with dough or something like that. You know, it's not a physiological, if you look in a muscle physiology book, you're not going to learn about pliability. So I'm glad I asked that because, you know, I am, I am too. It's, uh, such I, a I'm buzzword. Being, it's become a buzzword and, you know, and it's monkey see monkey do. Um, look, uh, I mean, I could go into a whole rant about, you know, longevity in sport and what he's doing, you know, and, uh, uh, this guy didn't help him get to where he was. Remember that? Where was he when he signed? You know, um, he, he latched onto a, what you have a lot in sport, and it's happened in swimming too, when you see some older swimmers that latch onto a personal trainer. I call it, they hitch their wagon to a star. And then the next thing you know, they, they have a video or a book, you know, the TB2 method, and you sleep on a heavy blanket or something like that. I mean, I could make a joke about, no, I won't. Uh, it's, this is a family, uh, uh, family thing. program. Yeah. Family program. So you could probably know what I was thinking about. So anyway, let's change the subject. <laughs> say something I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> Vern, what are you most excited about, uh, when we think about the direction of our sport right now? Um, I, I just, uh, the thing that excites me the most about swimming, it reminds me of my first 10 years of coaching track. I think there are some really, really good young coaches, you know, you know, I mean, I, young to me now is 40 and under that are really keen to learn, really dedicated to the sport and to the athletes and want to be better. And uh, so that, that, really excites me. Um, uh, and uh, I think that um, this, this learning mentality, which is what I saw a lot in track and field when I started, is, is going to serve the sport well. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's really exciting. And I think that the, um, the, the better understanding that we have now of um, biomechanics of swimming, the hydrodynamics, the ability to, you know, to um, look at underwater, underwater swims instantly. I was just watching Emma the last week with Brent and it was, for me, it was great to watch too, you know, uh, is I, I think, um, I think it's exciting. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of good young kids coming up. It looks to me like, you know, both boys and girls, you know, so, and, and this, and, and my part of it, the dry land part of it, I, I think there's an increased understanding of the role that dry land can play in terms of keeping the swimmer healthy and uh, uh, enhancing their performance in terms of being able to be better prepared for the water, so.
Perfect segue into the last question. What are some ways that coaches can actively incorporate recovery modalities for their athletes? Well, first, you know, I'll quote uh, uh, Pete Carroll, learn the learner. I mean, know your, get to know your athletes. Know what kids are, you know, kind of grinders academically and are going to have to work harder in school and stay up. Make sure you know the family situations. You know, are the kids stopping at McDonald's on the way home because mom doesn't have time to cook? I mean, you know, the more you can without, look, I don't want to be intrusive. There's things about the athletes I don't want to know. Um, you know, and then I think it's our job to help and starting with young age groupers to start talking about a champion's lifestyle and create a culture in your team and in your club that you value um, coming prepared, having a, 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 a dry shirt and dry clothes to put on after practice, you know, a dry towel, you know, instead of looking for these magic formulas, look at, look at some really basic stuff. Do you, um, do you have a snack that you can eat after school on the way to swim practice? So you're fueled for the practice. I bet if you question most now, most of the kids, a lot of our kids now are on, you know, it's, it's not normal, but we will get back to in-person school and that. I think you'd be shocked if you looked at the number of kids that only had, maybe had a cursory breakfast before, um, before afternoon workout. So I'm not talking about recovery right now. I'm just talking about fueling. Okay. And uh, I, I, my next step is I don't control that um, would be to start recommending for clubs that they, they do some fundraising and have something there for the kids to eat. Uh, you know, even though the socioeconomic uh, cross-section of swimmers is generally are not, it's, it's not because they don't have the economic means of eating. It's because they're, they're doing so many things. So that being said, um, I, I, I really want to teach the kids, um, the athletes, um, the, the, these yoga routines that we go through in a, in a tempo flow. I, I'd like to educate them to do that as study breaks for their, for their flexibility for, for recovery. I'm not a big fan of external means of recovery, i.e. ice baths, massage, that kind of stuff for the developing athlete. And most of us are working, you know, with developing athletes before college, because I think we want to teach them how to monitor their bodies better so they know that what a niggle is versus soreness is. Um, and uh, I think uh, just a good sound diet and which incorporates some, you know, I know we have a lot, of, the part of the problem is we have a lot of kids and a lot of families that are trying to be vegan. And I, I just don't think that's compatible with an athletic, high level athlete performance. My own opinion, uh, based on as well informed as I can be from really good people at, in, in, you know, around the world. Um, I, I think that's important. You don't need to you don't need supplementation except potentially for iron supplementation. And if you do, you need to, you need to combine, you need to get somebody that, that can educate you 
um, as to proper supp iron supplementation with vi source of vitamin C. I do know that. Uh, what else? What else would you think of in terms of recovery? Hydration is, everybody understands that now. Um, I think sometimes we, we almost overdo it a little bit. Now we're in a, you know, it'll be, I hate to talk to the people that are listening to this, it'll be tomorrow, it's going to be 86 degrees here. Um, you know, and, and so that presents a different issue more from what we do in dry land, you know, and that. So um, is that, am I missing something? Um, no, you're right on. You're right on. And it's funny that you said that I was, I was, uh, I was walking with Coach Bowerly at Olympic trials one time. And one yeah. of the athletes said to him, uh, Coach, I just got to go refill my water bottle. And he said, again, and he turned and he said, the most hydrated generation in history. <laughs> they are. They are, and uh, we're starting to find out, and I don't want to misrepresent um, scientific research, but we, we're, we've overdone it a little bit, just like everything else, and I think you have to be really careful. Uh, last thing, on, and again, I don't want to get outside my lane, so to speak, but I am a generalist on some of the sports drinks, too, uh, and bars. A lot of the bars and sports drinks, the sugar content is way too high, you know, so you have to add, you have to really look at the labels and get a hold of somebody, there's some good sources with US swimming, you know, through your clubs and that, that you, and through the USOC, if you have national team members that are, uh, can give you good, better information. I'm passing things on secondhand, so anyway, so. But it's, 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 it's teaching your kids, look, what percentage are gonna go on and be national team mentors and Olympian, minuscule, right? But teaching them a good, uh, healthy athletic lifestyle that'll set them up to be better college students, to be better parents, to be, you know, and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it's just, it's just creating habits. That's all we do. That's all coaches do is create habits. So sleep, you, you told me we were going to talk about sleep. Um, we get a lot of criticism in swimming because our kids are up early and supposedly from the outside, they don't get enough sleep. Maybe some do, but I think if you really look closely at your kids, um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at these kids, I'm there, with them a couple mornings a week at 5.30 and um, really good students, they're studying. Um, I think they they learn how to adjust their internal clock. Um, if you need information as coaches, uh, I don't know, I'm not given to hyperbole. Um, this is a book by Pat Byrne and his daughter, Suzanne Byrne. Pat Byrne is probably one of the pioneers in, um, in looking at sleep and uh, athletic performance it came out of occupational health where, you know, with truck drivers and pilots and things like that in the military. And it's called Inconvenience Sleep, Why Teams Win and Lose. And it cuts to the chase. It, 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 it forces you to look critically at some of the pseudoscience research and cites the studies that are spot on. And, and I think every swim coach to read this. First of all, I, I feel that a lot of swim coaches get unjustly, like why, do you, I, I get this all the time. First question I get from my colleagues in other sports is, why do you guys get up at 5.30 in the morning? Well, first of all, a lot of places, that's the only time you can get the pool. Secondly, you're going to have to swim fast at 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning at nationals and that. Now, you maybe don't have to do it five days a week, but you know, there's, there's, there's good reasons for it. And if you look at the rhythm and flow of 
morning sessions versus afternoon. We Carmel does this. I don't know the other clubs. We 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 did this. We're we're actually adding a little swim. Or Monday mornings we just swim. I mean we just dry land to set up the week. And uh, so that's an hour max hour. The longest session we do is an hour. So they're they're back and they're they can eat breakfast and go to school and be normal. You know so uh, so yeah. Don't don't get don't and. Don't get too, uh, don't go out and parents, coaches, don't go out and, and uh, buy sleep monitors. They're bogus. They, they're, they're not giving you good information. And most of the time, what I'm concerned is now is they're creating a certain level of anxiety in the, uh, in the young athlete that, oh, geez, I didn't get enough sleep. How can, you know, and that, um, again, have them monitor their own bodies. And time in bed is not the same as time to sleep. But at least if you're in bed, you have a chance of getting more sleep, you know, too. So uh, if you want to read in bed, read in bed. That's fine. You know, uh, at least you're resting. So, and that, that's great information. And uh, I know you just finished up a podcast. Do you want to talk about your podcast? Yeah, it was with Pat Byrne. And, and uh, we went more in depth about the book. It actually was just before we got on here. And so that's why it's it's all uh, it's it's all in in my head and and he he's one of the top guys in the world and works with individual athletes and he said you know they he uh he doesn't want his these i mean we're talking guys that are making millions of dollars a year and he doesn't want them wearing sleep monitors they don't need to um, he does a base period with a with a particular monitor that he can look at remotely and then they basically look at routines. How do I change my routines? And uh, a lot of people are talking about the necessity of naps. And Pat just said to me that, um, you know, I know when I'm a, I'm an old man, when I'm up at 5.30 on that Monday, uh, I do take a nap early afternoon for 20 minutes and stuff. If I'm going to go back, I, I just feel like I have to. And I've always been a bit of a napper, uh, even when I was an athlete in college, a bit of a napper. I used to sleep through classes, uh, <laughs> multiple classes. <laughs> I guess that's more you than You heard it here first, guys. You heard it here first. Vern, yeah. Vern Gambetta uh, sleeping through college courses. I could, go under, I could go under a tree and sleep through the next class. I was crazy. <laughs> uh, I wish I could sleep. But... Um, no, you know, and, and even the necessity of naps, he said, sometimes you have to be careful that you're not robbing your sleep from at night, you know, and things like that. So there's, again, there's a whole business that has arisen around this. You know, if you, if you subscribe to Tom, uh, Tom Brady, you got to have a heavy blanket, you know, and, and if you can afford it, you have a supermodel with you <laughs> or something, you know, but no, so uh, that was a podcast. It was cool. If you if you want to listen to it, it's called the Gamecast, and uh, um, uh, look go look for it at the gainnetwork.com, uh, and that's G A I N, and then network. And we also have a might as well plug the uh, the Gain Swimming Master Class that Chris Webb and I do, and uh, hopefully pandemic allowed we will have our gain swimming event at carmel in september uh, that's you know we're we're advertising it but we're going to be there Vern. our staff's going to be there well I, I hope i hope we'll all be there i, I you know i'm i'm still a, a little ambivalent about where this is all going i get we get our second shots i think in two weeks so 
that makes me a little more comfortable, but it should be cool. It, it's, 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 it's a neat event. And, uh, but on the game cast, you, you, you get, uh, uh, if you go back, you, it's, it's an eclectic resource of coaches, sports scientists, uh, you name it, you know, virtually, I, I think we've had, uh, we, we, we've had, uh, Ian and, and, and Chris Webb and, and, um, uh, Chris Plum on, and I had uh, Stefan Vidmar, great swim coach, who's now in Singapore, you know, so on the, from the swimming side too. So that's good. So, well, good. Well, Vern, thank you so much for today. This has been an awesome hour. Uh, how can people get in touch with you if they have questions about gain or, uh, you know, contacting you directly? Yeah, um, my, my email is uh, G as in go, S as in Sam, T as in Tom, S as in Sam, coach, uh, wait, GSTS coach at gmail at gmail.com. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at answering email. Uh, yeah, that's probably the, and then, um, let's see at coach Gambetta. I think that that's how you got to hold me at coach Gambetta on Twitter. Um, I have an Instagram account. I don't know how to use it. So don't, uh, and then, um, and then on LinkedIn, you could just look up my name. I don't know what it is. And then, like I said, it's uh, thegainnetwork.com. The and there's a Gain Swimming uh, page underneath that if you search through the, uh, the titles. So love to hear from you. Um, uh, just don't call me after 6 o'clock Eastern time, um, and I won't answer. So otherwise, I'll eventually get back to you. I, I like talking to people. Sometimes I'll ask to Zoom, too, just because you know, you, you get a better sense of how people are reacting to what you say and things like that too. Because some of the stuff that we do, some people might think it's really off the wall, you know? I mean, they'll come and look at us and they say, well, what, that's really bad technique. No, that's, that fits her. That's how she does her squats. And I, and you know, so, uh, you know, come and watch sometimes it's, 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 uh, it's it I, I'm I marvel at these kids. I, I I am just in awe of the kids that I see at the other teams, but I'm just so thrilled to be um working with uh at you know day to day now with the sharks and working closely with the coaches and uh it's really neat to see how these kids have progressed, you know. So it's much different when you're there day to day. So it's cool. Well, Vern, the, the success is evident. You, you can see it when you watch the athletes perform. I know it's something that they enjoy, and I know it's something that their coaches are big believers in. So we appreciate your contributions to our sport, and we hope that uh, those people that, that are going to sign up for the game clinic will be able to do it in person this fall in September. Uh, and, and I look forward to connecting with you more in the future, too. Thanks so much, Coach. Thank you very much. Good luck to you. You too. And everybody can catch this episode on the Fitter and Faster website, as well as on the Fitter and Faster YouTube channel. And uh, be on the lookout for those athletes who are working with Vern in the future. And I think you'll see some good things. All right. We'll see you guys next week.